Uh, gifts that grow. Gifts that grow. We've been looking at one verse over the last five weeks. It's a critical verse um, or passage of Scripture to inform what the church looks like. This is the Scripture. Let me read it for the last time in a while. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 to 13. So Christ himself gave the apostles. Who? Jesus himself gave. What did he give? Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Why? Why? To equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. You're going to see that phrase a lot today's message and a lot when you need, when you read the scriptures. The body of Christ built up. What does it look like? Until we all reach unity in the faith. Maturity in Christ-likeness is not just Lone Ranger Christianity on your own as you study more and you read more books and you learn more things about Jesus. But, the, but maturity in Christ looks like a unity of the faith in a corporate body and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. We see in this passage, and it's worth repeating, that Jesus gives gifts to his church. We as a church realize we need more than the kind of pastor teacher gift. We need the, the role of the apostles as you read the New Testament, and we're going to do more of that this year as well. You'll see the partnership between churches and church leaders who, who plant churches, we pray today, and strengthen churches as we experience and we prayed as well. We see apostolic gifts who do that. They break new ground, they plant, and they establish, they lay foundations in churches. They strengthen the church where the church is weak. We need that. We saw evangelistic gifts in the series, that the church doesn't exist only for ourselves. We're not a holy huddle who gather together on Sundays to stay together until Jesus comes to fetch us and take us home. But actually, while that's happening, uh, among other things, Christ is on mission. This gospel message, the person of Jesus is, is not, is not an, Jesus is not weak and anemic and needing us to keep gathering to prop him up, but rather God's gospel mission is flooding the world. And the church is swept up in God's filling of the world with his goodness. And that's why we give ourselves as Christ followers to sharing the wonder of who Jesus is with others, evangelistic gifts. And last week we began looking at two weeks on the prophetic gift. Last week, part one, this week, part two on prophetic gifts. If you missed it last week, I'd encourage you, catch it up next week while the Argus is on. That's a good one to put together there. But, but what we're doing is we're looking at the scriptures and we're looking at what does the New Testament say the church looks like and how do we as a body uh, align with the New Testament church? This is super important because as a church, we don't just want to follow the next fad or the next cool Christian leadership book that comes out or what everybody else is doing. For us as a people, we're submitted to the scriptures. We're saying Christ and his wisdom uh, in, in, enabled Paul and countless others to write these beautiful letters that have become um, put into the scriptures. He inspired them. And, and so what we do is we now bring our lives under and where, we, where we're not aligned to the scriptures we, we, we realign as we, we lift up the word. And that's what we're doing in this series. It's why we're looking at the scriptures to see who have you called us to be, the, to, to be as a people. Today I want to answer the question, how is prophecy expressed in the local church? We're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And you'll notice, you've probably picked up on this, how many times we've been, the, been in the book of 1 Corinthians through the series Gifts That Grow. It's been intentional to get us ready for what we're going to do uh, after we return after the August. So next week, no church, August. The following week we return, we finish Gifts That Grow, and we're going to begin a series through the book of 2 Corinthians. 
beautiful, beautiful book. I think we've got a slide there, Nerd, and we can put up there. Last year was brilliant going through James. James is very practical. He speaks about the Christian life, how we live as Christ followers in light of the gospel. As we appropriate the gospel in our lives, this is what the Christian life looks like. But, but it's so easy you can get stuck into do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. That's not all of Christianity. I mean, 2 Corinthians is so helpful. As Paul writes to the church in Corinth, that's a church that's struggling and got all sorts of issues they're working through, to see them made more beautiful, he writes much, especially in the first chunk, about God's strength made perfect in our weakness. As we look at the book of 2 Corinthians, you're going to get a window into Paul and how Paul has come to rely on Christ and His grace more than anything else, and, and how the gospel is going to empower and transform our lives. And so really, this series of 2 Corinthians will form the backbone of what we journey through um, as Christ followers as Common Ground South Penn this year. Can't wait to sink our teeth into that. But the final installment of Gifts That Grow, last time you're going to see the slide about two recommended resources, Jack Deere's book, Surprised by the Voice of God. If you want to know more about prophecy and, uh, and, and, and what it means in your life in the local church, this is the book to buy. This is the one book above all other books. Uh, that I want to recommend on the subject of prophecy. This book has been amazing on broader spiritual gifts, Sam Storms, and much of what I'm sharing today, and this series has been informed by these books. But this book is just, it's full of personal anecdotes and stories that make it accessible. It's full of practical insights that are doable for our lives and really full of biblical wisdom for all of us. So if, if you're curious and you want to know more and you want to grow, that's the one to buy. It's on Kindle. It's a, a winner. Okay, we're ready to go. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, we're answering the question, how is prophecy ex expressed in the local church, in particular in gatherings? We're thinking life groups, we're thinking Sundays, and we're going to try and be super practical. Verse 1, follow the way of love and eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. Before we go on quickly, does this describe your life, I wonder? Eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be edified. Verse 26, so what then shall we say, brothers and sisters, when you come together, each of you has a hymn, a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. If anyone speaks in a tongue, two or three, um, two or at most three should speak, one at a time, and someone must interpret. If there's no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and to God. Two or three prophets, verse 29, two or three prophets should speak, and the others should weigh carefully what is said. And if a revelation comes to someone who is sitting down, the first speaker should stop. For you can all prophesy, sorry, for you can all prophesy in turn so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. The spirit of the prophets is subject to the control of the prophets. Verse 33, for God is not a God of disorder, but of peace as in all the congregations of the Lord's people. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy. And do not forbid speaking in tongues, but everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. Let's pray. 
Father, as we grapple with this, I realize in the midst of, in, in our gathering, there's some who are going, yay, this is exciting. There are others going, oh, didn't know about this. I'm a bit nervous. God, would you speak to us from your word? We genuinely desire as a church to look more and more like your blueprint for what a church is, Jesus. But we realize it's going to take, it's going to take your truth and it's going to take faith and courage as well. And so Jesus, would you, would you bring it all to us? Bring us truth today and put a faith and courage in our hearts, I ask. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Right, when you read this passage, it's clear that Paul's vision of a local church uh, is one where there is prophecy in the midst of the gatherings and the believers, and, and, and believers are growing in the gift of prophecy. We don't only see this in the church in Corinth. Remember, we've read this now in Ephesus, Ephesians 4, our series verse. We've read this a lot in Corinth as well, but you see this in Romans 2. Paul wrote to the church in Rome, in Romans 12, verse 6, he says, we all have different gifts according to the grace of so according to the grace given to each of us, not according to your personal holiness, not in, term, in terms of your levels of service in the Christian church, not in terms of how many books you've read. We all have different gifts according to the grace that God graciously empowers us with something that we, is not in and of ourselves. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy, prophecy, prophesy in accordance with your faith. If your gift is prophesying, prophesy in accordance with your faith. This is the church in Rome. Then to the church in Thessalonica, 1 Thessalonians 5.22. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Don't just swallow hook, line, and sinker here. Be discerning. Test them all. Hold to what is good and reject every kind of evil. I say this because for Paul, prophecy is clearly part of New Testament church life. It's a vitally important part of how the body is built up. Jesus, who is the head of the church, speaks to his body through his body in the act of prophecy. It's clear in the scriptures. Yet, in spite of all of this, Many of us, even sitting here today, would never dream of prophesying. It's not that we're against it. Well, we just believe that it's for kind of somebody else, right? Someone else is going to do that part because it would never be for me. The problem is if we all live a little bit like it's for somebody else, then none of us will ever do it. And as a church, we'll miss out on this vitally important ingredient to church life. So let's take a look at how Paul views prophecy in the, in the life of a local church. And let's just work through 1 Corinthians 14 in bits and pieces. The first thing I want us to see here in verse 3, that prophecy involves speaking to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening. I'm literally quoting the scripture. Their encouraging and their comfort. That's what prophecy should do. Prophesying should encourage us, should strengthen us, and it should be uh, comforting as well to believers. And Paul contrasts in this passage prophecy with tongues, the gift of tongues, right? Tongues is a communication between the person speaking and God. It's intimate and it's vertical. It's me and Jesus. Prophecy, on the other hand, is Jesus me and somebody else. Jesus, you and somebody else. And so, so prophecy is, is person to person uh, and is understandable to the person who hears it, which is what makes prophecy so helpful for public gatherings. Here we see it again in verse 4. Uh, anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves. It's just, it's me and Jesus. Nothing wrong with it. Paul says, I wish you would all speak in tongues. He says that. But, but, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. Every time you see the word edifies, it simply means builds up the church. 
And so the purpose of prophecy is it builds up the church. It strengthens Christ's followers in their faith. Verse 26, he gives us another window into prophecy in the local church. Verse 26. And what then shall we say, brothers and sisters, when you come together, each of you has a hymn, a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue or an interpretation. Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. When you look at verse 26, there's a massive variety as to how it looks. It doesn't always look the same. For Paul, uh, prophecy was part of what happens when Christians gather. It's, it's clear that, that the spiritual gifts in this local church and in Paul's vision of a local church don't just live upon the leaders. It's not like there's this elect crew of leaders and these leaders are the people that God works through. This has got to do with your one anothering in the body of Christ. And so in the Corinthian worship, worship was more like a team sport. It was more like a group of cyclists with the Argus coming next week who were riding in a peloton or a group than a lone team guy solo breakaway, right? I remember Donnie speaking about this once in, um, in, the, in the hall when we were in Sun Valley. And he remembers he, he's speaking about the local church and spiritual gifts. And he was saying, it's, the local church is far more like a, like a peloton. And all of you riding in a group, all breaking wind together. <laughs> rather than... Breaking wind on your own. <laughs> I say that because it'll help us remember the, uh, the image. But worship in the local churches, one might bring a song, another an encouragement, another a teaching. I mean, Pete brought us such a brilliant encouragement from Psalm 23. All, all these things. Uh, the idea being worship is not a spectator sport. It's more of a bring and share than dinner for one. That's, and, 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 and worth putting the disclaimer in, this is tricky in a Sunday gathering with so many people. It's a lot easier to do this in a life group. And I think that's why life groups are vitally important. And, and a lot more of our life group time and our prayer time should look like this as well. But I still think it's, it, it's worth pursuing absolutely in our Sunday gathering too. And so, so for Paul, this was what a vision of worship looked like. For some of us, I'm mindful, this sounds like a party and you want to be a part of it. For others, though, this sounds like chaos and you're very nervous. Which is why Paul says in verse 26 and verse 33 and 40, everything must be done so that the church may be built up. For God is not a God of disorder, but a God of peace. But everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. He's very clear. He even speaks about two or three and no more and one at a time. He's very clear here. Yet as much as worship is a team sport, there is a way of doing it properly. Uh, Paul, is, Paul is trying to correct something in this passage. And in so doing, he contrasts tongues and he contrasts um, prophecy. The correction here is for the Corinthians, and, and this is critical for us today. We are very much, in the modern world in which we live, we're in danger of falling to the same trap. The correction here is worship and gifts in the Corinthian church was more about personal expression and fulfillment, me and Jesus, me expressing to Jesus what's in my heart, than it was about building up of the body of Christ. And there's nothing wrong with me and Jesus. In fact, Paul says, I wish you would all experience that. It, it, it is so vitally, this, I mean, Christ and intimacy, intimacy with Him is so vitally part of the Christian life. But He's saying in your gathering, it's the building up of the body that should take preference over personal expression and fulfillment. And that's what He's describing here. And so it's why He prefers prophecy 
to tongues. It's why he encourages us to, to prophesy, to build each other up, to comfort each other. And it's to be done in an orderly way, only two or three and one at a time. It's not supposed to be kind of chaos and carnage. Verse 29, he even says it's to be weighed by others which is not surprising because prophecy is not the perfect, infallible voice and word of God. It's partial, it's imperfect. But it's in this place of worship that God speaks to his people. It's in the gathering of believers. I'm all for times with Jesus on your own in devotion, but that's very different than when, when, when all of us gather. There was a Puritan writer uh, we, we spoke about it last week in DNA, and he describes this like, he, he just loves the way God chooses to presence himself like a stream in the life of the believer as we open ourselves up to him and we meet with him. But there's something beautiful and powerful that happens when my stream and your stream and your stream and your stream and your stream, and they come together and we come together with the sole purpose of worshiping Christ and seeing the body built up. That is a powerful thing, and that's Paul's description of the local church gathering. Now, does that mean, now that we're saying prophecy, prophecy, does that mean we no longer need the Bible and teaching? That's not at all what, what's being said here. The, prophecy is not a substitute for the Scriptures. It's a complement to what God is doing. We're always going to be a people who are coming under alignment to the Word of God. It's what we're doing right now. However, we're saying we want more of what God, we want all of what God has for us. And so as Christ followers, we want to be those who are listening out to God, what He could be whispering to us through His Spirit and speaking to us. Therefore, Paul says in verse 39, as this chapter lands, he says, Therefore, my brothers be, and my sisters, be eager to prophesy. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy. Okay, Luke, I think I'm open to the idea. You've convinced me. I see it in the scriptures. It's there. It's part of the church. It's Paul's idea, clearly Christ's idea. Jesus wants to minister in our church in this way. I'm, I'm, I'm in. I'm sticking my neck out. However, what do I actually do when God speaks a word to me? How do you share a prophetic word with the church or with someone else? Let's assume God does actually give you a prophetic revelation. Sheesh, the words are serious. Eh? Prophetic revelation. Let's assume God does speak to you. I hope, uh, if you missed last week, I hope you, uh, you wouldn't be aware of it, but on the broadcast list, I hope you work through the document of how God speaks to His people throughout the Scriptures. Maybe now you've read the document, you're okay, I've got an idea of how God speaks, and, and, and then God actually spoke to me. What do you do with that? I want to give us some tips about how to share words in the context of a church in order to kind of help us toward fruitfulness and protect us against some of the, the perils that can be part of this as well. First rule. Don't assume just because you've received a revelation that you have to share it. When God gives you an insight, sometimes it's just to pray for people. Sometimes it's just to experience a renewed level of empathy and concern for people. Sometimes the timing might not be right. I think of Solomon's words in Proverbs 12, 18. The words of, a, of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Sam Storms in his book, he just says it like this. I'll quote him. He says, I believe that the majority of dreams, impressions, and visions that we receive are meant to lead us to pray and not do anything else. 
The greatest prophetic people I know see and hear far more from the Lord than they ever speak. Yeah, sometimes, especially when we're growing in this, I think we, we feel a responsibility. God showed me this, therefore I have to share. That. It has to be for right now. And sometimes, it, sometimes if you feel emotionally or, or physically, sometimes your heart beats or you, some people would say, I experience goosebumps. You, sometimes you, because you've experienced something emotionally or physically, you think the word is more important because of your physical or emotional response to it. Nowhere in the Bible is there a correlation between your emotional response and what God, the, the importance of what you're saying. In fact, some of the most powerful words I've ever heard shared in my life and in, with others came in incredibly pedestrian ways. I'd love it if you share that word that, you, that happened in your life, Pete, uh, in your life group years ago in Doha. And so just because your heart is beating and your heart is fluttering, it doesn't mean it, it's a bigger or more important word. Actually, God is sovereignly over all of those things. Most times when God reveals something, there's three aspects to this revelation or this prophetic word. The language is so, um, I mean, it's helpful that it's biblical, but it's very foreign, I think, in our modern language. Um, but let's look. Most times when you read the scriptures, uh, when, you, when you receive a prophetic word or, or vision or something from God, there's three aspects, a revelation, interpretation, and application. Revelation, interpretation, and application. The revelation is this is what God has shown me. Maybe a word, a phrase, a picture, a vision you had. It's the revelation. This is what God has shown me. The interpretation is this is what it means. God has shown me this revelation. This is what it means. Therefore, application number three, this is what I must do. This is what I must know. This is how I must respond. The revelation, the interpretation, and the um, application. And we need to learn to distinguish between these things. It's critical because it's possible to receive an accurate revelation that interpret it completely wrong or apply it in a bad way as well. And when you're sharing this with someone, it's helpful to distinguish between these different aspects. Maybe even best to share the revelation and allow them to pray and work out the interpretation and the application themselves, especially when it comes to a picture or dreams. Let's have a look at this in the Bible. Acts chapter 21. Follow along with me here. Firstly, look out for the gifts and then look out for, we'll see this prophetic word at play here. Verse 8, leaving the next day, we reached Caesarea and stayed in the house of Philip the evangelist. Do you see the evangelistic gift here? One of the seven. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. Another spiritual gift at play here. After we had been there for a number of days, a prophet, another one, named Agabus came down from Judea. Coming to us, he took Paul's belt, tied his own hands and feet with it and said, the Holy Spirit says... In this way, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and all the people there pleaded with Paul not to go up to Jerusalem. Have a look through this again. Ask yourself, what's the revelation here? What's the interpretation? And what's the application? I'll give you a second just to look through here. What's the revelation? Well, it's a very, very vivid picture, right? It's a vivid picture of the owner of that belt being bound and tied up, right? What's the interpretation? The interpretation is that there is danger waiting in Jerusalem, right? What's the application? When we heard this, we and the people there pleaded with Paul not to go. Please don't go. 
And I think it's the kind of application that I would make probably and most of us would make, right? Let's see what happens in verse 13. Then Paul answered, Why are you weeping and breaking my heart? Am I ready? I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. When he would not be dissuaded, we gave up and said, the Lord's will be done. And after this, we started on our, on our way to Jerusalem. The revelation was unmistakable. It was a vivid picture, even modeled to Paul. The interpretation was also bang on. There are tough times waiting for you in Jerusalem. The application went awry. In fact, it went the opposite way. Please don't go, they said to Paul. When Paul knew he had to go, and this was more a heads up, a warning, be prepared, it's going to get rough, but go anyway. They got the revelation right, they nailed the interpretation, but were completely off in terms of application. Had they shared it, and I, I don't want to make a, such a big heavy here, as much as it's helpful to say, this guy was a named New Testament prophet, and he got it wrong in his application. So, so, so let's afford each other a bit of space to be able to do the same. It doesn't mean that just because somebody got it wrong that they're a false prophet. No, it just means he's a human being like the rest of us, okay? A false prophet is someone who's not a believer, someone who's against God and he's trying to mislead people. This is just a human being who got it wrong, shared a brilliant revelation very clearly that was very helpful. And God still, even in their clumsiness, warned Paul and coached him rightly. Do you see that? God was sovereignly over this whole process as well. Next one, when God gives you a word to share with the church or with someone, share it humbly. The key word is humility. Let's avoid phrases like, thus saith the Lord. When you speak New, uh, Old King James, you're probably straying a little bit, right? That's not really an official language anymore. Thus saith the Lord. The Lord showed me that you're supposed to. It's not speak like that. Dramatic pronouncements are not helpful. This is the word of the Lord for your life. Now listen and obey. Let's have none of that in our church, please. Why? Because it can become controlling and manipulative. God asked you to share a word, not to guarantee a response to it. Rather say something like, I think the Lord might be saying, or I feel impressed to, or I have a picture in my mind I think might be for someone here. Say something that is humble, that, because what you're doing is you're giving the person who's hearing that the option of going, I'd actually just like to sit on that for a bit. To not feel guilty if I don't jump right away and respond in the affirmative as well. You give the person space to, to be able to weigh that and see God without feeling like they're disappointing you or disappointing the Lord, right? Worth saying, and very clearly, anytime you find yourself using the Lord's name to enhance your authority, either you or something you're watching on YouTube, right? you're probably misusing the Lord's name. And in the end, you're going to undermine your credibility and sadly, probably even the Lord's. So leave the results to God. Share it, share it humbly. Pray for the person and leave it with God. And if your advice is not taken by that person, don't feel rejected. Don't feel like you failed God. Also, don't feel like that person is evil or hard-hearted because they didn't listen to your word, right? 
let's just, defer, let's just afford each other grace in this space so that we can together grow in this area of life that is so beautiful and yet you can see how vulnerable it is to, to, to being destructive as well. Make sense? Last tip. What if someone shares a word with you that really seems to miss the mark? What if someone gives you a dud or a clangor, right? Maybe someone shares something with you and immediately in your heart you go, oh, doesn't sit well with me. Or maybe you know it contradicts the scripture, what the Bible teaches. Maybe even just common sense is that is nuts. Okay. It doesn't mean you're a cynic if you feel like that. And it doesn't mean that you hold prophecy in contempt. This person could have just got something wrong, even with the best of intentions, right? However, there are times I do feel that it is helpful to give an immediate correction, especially when someone shares something that's biblically misguided, that's way off the scripture. So let's say, for example, you're in a small group meeting and you're praying and a married couple say, actually, we just find we're conflicting with each other quite a lot. We're struggling. Would you pray for us? And someone with the most loving heart says, I really believe God says you must get divorced. I, th I think that would probably be a situation where you'd say, hey, I, I know you mean well. I appreciate your zeal and your desire to help, but we know from God's word that this is not kind of biblical grounds for divorce. We're not. So whilst thank you so much for caring, that, that's not what we believe God's saying. So that's probably the rare instance where you really need a strong correction, those sorts of things. But the idea I want to fight for here is when someone gets it wrong, someone in your life group, just understand the amount of courage, the amount of fear. They're probably ummed and hard for weeks before they're going to share it with you, right? So be kind, be gentle, be encouraging. Don't crush the spirit of the poor person, okay? Let's just be kind and let's be loving. And let's trust in this environment of grace and of learning, but also of faith and humility to say, God, you want to give us, and we need as a church, more than we have in our logical, cognitive, reasoning ability. We actually need your spirit to speak to us, to build us up, to encourage us. And God, we're humble enough to admit that, and we're going to be gentle and kind enough with each other to afford each other space to get it wrong. But please, Lord, would you speak to us? Let's put this all together as we land our series. Jesus still wants to speak to his people today. Prophecy is a part of Paul's and Christ's vision for the local church. It's something I would love us, and I think we, as we look at God's word, we need to grow into more and more as a people. In fact, we, we want to say we desperately need the voice of the prophets to build up, to stir up, and to cheer up. And the danger is that we all feel a little bit like it's somebody else. But when you remember this is a ministry of grace that Jesus gives to us as we need, then I trust that there's space for courage and faith for us to step out. Can I pray for us? Let's stand together. It's warming up, eh? I'd love to just lead us in a prayer that kind of follows track with this message and with this series. Christ, as we look at your word, the series, 
we see you, Jesus, Christ himself gave. Jesus, you give that which you believe we as a church need. For some of us, Lord Jesus, it's freshly acknowledging in humility that we need more than what we have in and of ourselves in order to grow into the maturity that you have for us. For some of us, we feel safe in the realm of what we read and what we hear taught. But the realm of the other spiritual gifts, prophecy, it's scary for us, Lord Jesus. It's unfamiliar for some of us. And yet, Lord, it's clearly part of how you've worked throughout the ages in the scriptures. And so we come humbly and ask not that you bend your vision of what the church looks like to make us feel at ease, but ask, Lord, that you would give us faith and courage to stretch beyond what we have in you and in grace to live into the fullness of what you believe is good for our church, Lord Jesus. And so, Jesus, we ask you, would you pour out the spirit of the prophets among us? I pray, God, that you would come upon and empower people today unsuspectingly. Let there be some who think, yo, yo, this would, God would never speak through me like this. No, no, it must be for those. And, and you would just discover God would begin whispering to you. Pray, Lord, you wouldn't overwhelm us beyond what we can handle, but that you would begin graciously, Christ, stirring our hearts. I pray for words that we wouldn't be able to move past. I pray for dreams, for visions, for scriptures to be brought to mind and for courage to share that lovingly amongst each other. Jesus, in the one anothering, in the spurring one another on toward love and good deeds, in the bearing one another's burdens, in the, in the speaking the truth to one another in love, in all of the one another's of the New Testament, that we as a church would grow into maturity, especially as we heed your word and desire prophecy, Lord Jesus. I pray that you would bring to mind words that you've spoken to some of us, even in this gathering, that have just gone dormant and dust, Lord. Maybe there's promises that God's spoken to your life and you've forgotten them. You dust them off and they just, they'd ring bright again in your ears and your heart. And that you'd start to read the scriptures and you'd start to go through life experiences and you'd hear his voice whispering to you, speaking to you, revealing things to you. Come Holy Spirit. Thank you that our faith is beautifully logical and rational and at a, at a level of reason makes sense in a way that nothing else quite makes sense of our world and our human experience like you and, and this faith does. But I thank you that the gospel and your work in our lives is not limited by what we can understand, Jesus. But there is a supernatural aspect to Christianity that we, we want to grow in as a church, Jesus. And we want to grow as Christ followers. So I pray for faith, Lord Jesus, and for the gift of prophecy to be released in us as a church. Can you pray? Just take a second. Pray that for your own life. Come on, I can pray it. I can lead you and you can, you can say yes with my prayers, but what if you put your own prayers to Christ?
pray you'd graciously come upon our lives, Jesus. Thank you for your presence even with us today, Lord.